Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juice in the Big Screen, your movies review and discussion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I'm Corwin Heller. And welcome to the show today. Um, we'll be talking about the 2022 film Hellraiser. And while we said uh, in the last episode we'd be talking about the 2022 film Pearl because of a lack of availability, we are instead talking about its predecessor film, X, which also came out this year. Corwin um, Heller, where would you like to start in what I believe is Texas uh, or what I believe is like California? Uh, New York? Let's start with Hellraiser because I think it'll be the minor or the lesser of the two conversations. I don't know. I have takes for days here. Um, do you? I love that. I, as, as someone who has watched the original, yes, I do. Um, all right. So to that effect, Hellraiser came out in the year of our Lord, 2022. Uh, it was directed by David Bruckner. It was written by Ben Collins, Luke Piotrowski, and David S. Goyer. Uh, the film stars Odessa Azian, Jamie Clayton, and Adam Faison. Uh, the film had will we get an estimated budget? This is a this is a streaming film. This is a Hulu original. Uh, to that effect, I have no budget information and I have no box office, um, which would make sense because it didn't go to theaters. So yeah, no information to that effect. Um, I don't have a tagline either. Uh, wow. Yeah, this movie is like bare fucking bones here, I guess. Um, the, Sounds about right. Yeah. No major award nominations nor wins. For one thing, the, the movie just came out, but also this will not be an Oscar nominee by any <laughs> means. Uh, the film is about a take on Clive Barker's 1987 horror classic where a young woman struggling with addiction comes into possession of an ancient puzzle box, unaware that its purpose is to summon the Cenobites. Uh, this was my film, so I will go ahead and get us started. Um, Hellraiser is an interesting movie because the concept is very different from a lot of serious or standard horror films where it's like, you know, you're, you're bad for doing drugs, you're bad for having sex. And instead, it, it suggests... Not that doing th- these things is necessarily bad, but the de-stimulization of them is is the real negative drawback, right? Like you're going to uh, you're going to uh, unstimulate de uh, oh, there's a word I'm looking for desensitize. desensitize. There we go. Fuck me. God damn it. You're going to desensitize yourself to the point that you need to continue going towards extremes, right? Um, now that's partially of what's in the original film which i think even though it is very 80s in its production is the more interesting between these two what this film did was it took that premise and said cool got it um now it's kind of more of a final destination how do we get out of this wacky situation kind of movie which i think is unfortunate because it is an interesting film and there's a lot to be done with the lore of the puzzle box and the lore of the Cenobites that the film doesn't really get into because it's more concerned with 
again, a final destination. This is basically final destination. Is this movie like there's six people. They all have to die because some underworld being said. So um, there is something of an order. They are trying to break that chain. They think they find a way around it. Um, yeah, this is basically final destination. Is it these six people like the specificity from final destination or is it just like, yeah, we need six people and these are just the six people that are around the latter. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, to that end, I, I do think it was, it's well done. It's a well-made film. I, I, I really actually do quite enjoy the ending. I just, oh man, I really didn't care about like the entirety of that second and most of the third act. Uh, Corwin, let me know your thoughts. Um, I thought this was a very well shot movie. I think there are some other aspects that would make me pause significantly before saying this is a well-made movie. Uh, the the antagonists, the demons, the Sinites. underworld creatures. Yes, the word that I don't know. Uh, they look like they are straight out of Doctor Who. I don't know the last time I've seen a horror movie with such tacky-looking villains. Just ridiculous for 2022 for a not triple A but double A movie franchise. Um, I mean, I'm with you. Where like I did not care about the second third acts of the story. Uh, I only disagree because I also didn't care about the first act. Um, it was kind of a, a composite for me there where. I don't know if it's just me turning into a curmudgeon or just being an 80 year old man at heart always, but like the main actress, the main woman who is a rebel and going through all this and and everything that's going on just from the start, her making such unbelievably poor choices with both herself and her life was just immediate. Like, ah, you got it coming. Uh, hard to argue against all this, but I don't know, man. I just, I couldn't get into this. I couldn't, at no point was I even remotely scared or nervous. Like there was no sweat involved. It was just like, okay, this is a story. I don't know where it's going. I'll stick around and see where it goes. And now at the end, once I've seen what happens, where they were going with it, it just, oh, God, like, why do I have to fucking watch this through? It was just nails on a chalkboard by the end for me. Yeah, well, to, see, to that end, the horror aspect of it, I, what are we supposed to be afraid of here? Yeah. What is the, what is the central scare of it? Holding I, the I box would, in the wrong way? Well, I would say that there was one scene that I did think was like, oh, this would definitely, uh, even then though, my thought was this would be terrifying if I was there, which was the scene where the mother from Rami um, is like in the hospital assisted living facility thing and the lights are all flickering and shit. Like, that looked like it probably would have been scary on the day, Um, but even watching it, I'm like, okay. Um, You know, like, 
there's not a lot of scenes of terror here and the gore is actually also not hard to watch in a way where you would say that you know that's where this film's bread and butter is mm-hmm. there's uh, there's obviously you know the rather early reveal of the cenobites so you're you're not even waiting in anticipation of what the monster of this film is going to look like and even if you were this is based off of a, a previously existing film franchise so you know loosely what these things are going to look like um and i think a good part of it is because what the original does better and i'm not going to sit here and say that the original is like some you know epic of the horror genre it's a it's certainly an interesting movie um and if you're a horror person or if you're a film person it's definitely worth checking out because it's a uh, kind of like a a staple of late 80s horror cinema. But what it does really well is that the the plot of the film is not about strictly the Cenobites. There is, the Cenobites are almost a B-plot-ish to the A-plot, which is the first guy that we meet in that film that has the puzzle box, mm-hmm. gets his you know body and soul sucked down into hell. But then it turns out that like part of his corporeal being is still existing within the house that he had um, got sucked down into hell in and his wife actually I think his brother's wife there was some like relationship thing I don't remember fully uh, finds it and basically what happens is if people die in the room that he was sucked down into hell in their viscera revives his corpse revives his body so this woman starts luring men back upstairs to, her, to to this room in this house and killing them so that this guy can regain his physical being. And so there's that element of murder, you know, that, that is more interesting than just kind of like, again, a Final Destination-esque, these things are happening, they're going to happen no matter what, seemingly. We just have to figure out a way to win. Um. That sounds very interesting. They don't it do is that more yet. interesting. It's also more interesting because they, they they focus a little bit more on the pleasure aspect of because the 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 quote from Pinhead in the first one is and I'm racking my brain to think of it, but it's something to the effect of we will show you sensation that you've never seen before, like pleasure and pain. Like that's the idea behind the Cenobites, is that it it is a religious cult within the world of hell that is focusing on bringing experience to its, its um, zenith, right? And that the, the boundaries between pe- pleasure and pain, pleasure and pain slowly disintegrate. And that's not so much focused on here. For, for here, it's just kind of, there is an interesting line about the, the there is no music in, in you know, in that experiencing only pleasure, there's no music in that uh, you need to have pain. Like there, there was a, a, a brief tag on it at the end, but it's not so much focused on or made mention of. Cause it really is kind of more just like if this box pokes you, you're going to get snatched up by these chains. Look, look out here. Here come the, the, the snatchy chains. And uh, well, the, the chains, honestly were probably the single scariest part for me just as like oh there's something to fear there and seeing as they really only show a slight glimpse of what they do and where they come from so on and so forth 
the thing that really just put me over the edge was the puzzle that they are solving that once you are basically clipped by this puzzle box, this fancy Rubik's cube that causes the chains to appear. It looks like an incredibly simple and rudimentary puzzle, right? Like it's just turning. It's like a bop it way more than like a Rubik's cube. Twist it, bop it, turn it, poke it. Like it, it, it's nothing. I don't know why I was expecting this puzzle piece to be like a true puzzle that you need to, I don't know, have some kind of dedication to unlock or prove your worth or anything of the sort. But like, it looks like a child's toy. Well, and to, to another part of your point, there seems to be no, like no legend to, or, or no honor to solving the puzzle box. Like there, there's no mythos around it. It's, it's just like, Oh, you just twist the knobs and shit until a knife comes out. Well, that's kind of it. Yeah. Then, and then someone gets sucked to hell, but it's like, there, there's no, like by the end of it, the main woman is just solving it rapid speed to get to the knife, to get to the killing because the solving of the puzzle Speed is running. so rudimentary that she's just trying to get through it to, you know, get break the the cycle of events that's happening. It's like, ah, we have these four bars. Turn them. All right. We have two things that pop out. Push them back in. There are four edges to this triangle. Rotate them once. Okay. Good job. Your reward death. Good job. But yeah, she was literally speed running this puzzle to use it as like a weapon. Yeah. And so here's another thing about the movie, which is that the film acts as an allegory for alcoholism, right? Really? The, the, the start of the film, this woman is, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, the guy she's hooking up with, she found an Alcoholics Anonymous. She's struggling with pill addictions as well as we see in the films she's struggling with homelessness blah 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 blah. and i you know that that the idea of the film is excess as a danger right um but to that end i don't think it works as an as an alcohol allegory i think it works much better as its original conception which is a sexual pleasure allegory because the, her alcoholism basically doesn't come back into play after not act one, right? Like no, she takes those pills, which is meant to, you know, add some level of confusion, which again, we know is bullshit. Like we know that this shit's real. I don't know why you're trying to make it cute. It, it, it hurt. And people disbelieving her is not a big part of the story. It makes no sense to, to go that route. Uh, and then once everyone shows up at her house at the, at the mansion and is like, no, nah, we believe you. We believed you the whole time. It's real. We'll, we'll look for your brother. Oh, okay, cool. Alcohol. End of story. So, so is it effective? Cause I don't think, I don't no. think it is. Josh, the, that's such a rhetorical question. I don't think anything in this film is effective. Because the, the sexual aspect of it, which is the focus of, of the first film, I think works much better. Because seeking out the sadomasochistic pleasures of the other world 
works as a point of character furthering the the escalation of the character's wants whereas it like in a in a negative way whereas the way that this film went about it is it's like oh i didn't want any further like hedonistic uh desires i did an oopsie and sucked my brother to hell or <laughs> whoops my brother is getting butt fucked by satan gotta go no. get him back no that would have at least made this movie watchable if they opened up that act i mean i what mm. i i do want to call one thing out before i ask you this question about the end thing because I, I wondered what, what your thoughts of this were as well so sure. they, they showed the the lead actress and her boyfriend i guess having sex in the beginning right Mm-hmm. Classic. You can't remake an '80s movie without an '80s-style sex scene. So they're a plowing. And then when they go to the brother and his boyfriend, it's like, well, we can't show a gay sex scene in the movie. That's ridiculous. What can we show as a sign of intimacy between two gay dudes? Ooh, how about they're reading each other poetry naked in bed? That's the same thing as gay sex. <laughs> Did you clock that? Because I thought that was insane. Uh, I noticed it. I didn't quite piece it together as their solution to this quote-unquote problem. But uh, it it was silly. What really uh, drove me for a loop is when they first introduced the brother, it looked so similar to the guy that she was sleeping with in the opening scene. I thought it was him. Stop that, casting like a, white guys that look too much alike. Yeah, I agree. For fully real. agree. The, we all look the same. I well, I believe all other minorities, we all look the same. I think that every in shape B movie white man is the same guy. Because they all kind of look like those two white dudes. Yes. Well, that's the whole thing, right? We're all casting the same lookalike version because we want people to kind of assume it's someone way more expensive or better than it actually is. We're, it's we all, all just, aspire time is to a be flat a, circle. That yes. in shape white blonde dude. Um, yes, we do. I was just looking at that scene of the two of them reading poetry to each other, like clearly post quarterly and like, I'd honestly rather watch one of these two dudes get railed. Like, this is awful. Good uh, question. The uh, in shape, long haired white dude that looks identical that we first see the first sacrificial lamb why was he at this party and why was he at this clearly formal upends party in a tank top just wandering around with absolutely no insight for why he's there no connection with anyone else there and just hitting on old ladies what the fuck was that like i get why they show that but what the hell are they showing? So my interpretation of it was that that dude was a sex worker who got hired by Rami's mom. By the way, do you watch the show Rami? Because otherwise that makes no sense. No, I don't. Okay, Rami is a TV show. Um, Hiyama Bas. I, I, um, I think that Hiyama Bas, who worked as the lawyer to the, the, the Roland Voigt, Hired the sex worker um, 
basically to be the the final sacrifice for void um and so he showed up at this gathering why it needed to take place like that though is what was so fucking weird like i get the idea that you're going to sacrifice people sure but it 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 and this is what i'm talking about like it feels like the themes of the film are not clearly identified uh, because they're not but um because that's to it seems like it's saying that sex is bad which is not necessarily the point of the film the point of of the story is that excess is bad not sex on its own right or sex as a form of employment and to even beyond that to do it at what looked like a party like a like you said like a high-end gathering mm-hmm. it was also like why would you do it now you could hire a hooker whenever or you could just pick up six like intense drug addicts off the street at once and just say hey solve this puzzle get some drugs and you could knock this all out in a night yeah I mean, you clearly are a man of means with dubious moral values. I imagine this shouldn't be difficult for you to achieve. Not in the slightest. Uh, you're so rich, you could probably buy people, which I'm sure is still possible for someone of, of high enough income. You don't even need to buy them. You need to rent them for an hour. You saw how simple that puzzle piece was. They could do it in no time whatsoever. Also, what you are describing is essentially the plot of Nightmare Alley, which what took place in the 20s and is seemingly still a viable option. Ugh. So, or the, ah, it took place in the 40s. Actually. Why, this is more of a general question, but why, for the most part, do horror movie scripts have to be so poorly written? I know there are great exceptions to that. But why is the bar set so low? It's a, it's a really interesting question. I would think it's because of not the type of people it attracts, but the type of writing that people get told to do if they're shown as good writers. Like I and I what, what I mean to say is I don't think academics to to use a, a, a huge generalization, take the genre film that is horror as seriously as one would take, you know, drama or even science fiction to a large extent. Uh, And to that effect, I I think that a lot of the more marquee horror films are, don't have the same type of, you know, screenwriting leads, so to say, or, or screenwriting gurus that a lot more dramatic films do or comedy films do you know where there are these these, there are these staples there's there's a handful of guys but it's not a lot of people and i think it's because people don't get pushed in that direction and it's there's been a lessening of the opinion of horror over the past 30 years i mean you go back to the 60s and 70s and there's actually a lot of really interesting horror films that got made i mean one of the earliest forms of uh high profile cinema of german expressionism delved delved into horror frequently and and very very well it's it's really ever since the the slasher films got more popular and attained box office success that it seems as though the horror genre kind of got cast to the wayside in terms of screenwriting and production value we need the aster type we we need to treasure him (sighs) 
hopefully the, it seems like Ty West, the guy we might be talking about too, might, might, might have something going for him, but we'll see. Um, I do want to talk real quick about the ending. Cause again, the middle of this film is not interesting. The middle of, the, of this film is not interesting. I would argue, like Corwin said, the beginning is also not very interesting, but at least you can say, well, it's leading to something interesting. And then it, it just, it just doesn't. Um, the end of the movie, were you surprised to see Roland Voigt alive and with some kooky machine in him? Yeah. Um, Got to admit, wasn't expecting Cyborg in this at any what point. What did you think of that as an allegory for, you know, the excess of hedonistic sexual behavior? Uh, I kind of, my own thoughts were more of, like, I didn't see the original. I don't know what the original um thematic points were i kind of took it as uh do bad shit and personally don't feel for them okay here is something to perpetually remind you of your choices and provide some sort of consequence for them uh to which i i don't know i don't remember the exact workings of the cyborg implements uh, but it seemed to just be once a minute you are caused incredible pains by it, these it police systems. nerves it was the, the, the it was his nerves that the machine claimed to be pulling on and it was just like this ah okay um that's that is tough uh someone who's had a root canal uh and had an exposed nerve before i am I'm twitching on my couch, even just thinking about brushing against it. Um, having those main nerve lines uh, being just that done to them. Oh my God. I'm amazed he is able to remain conscious with how much pain that must be. Ugh. Yeah. Well, and, and they, and they say, He's, he has a line that like kind of explains that where he's like, it's, it, it's just enough not to kill me or something like that. Uh, yeah, I would, I would, I mean, granted seeing the creatures that would probably be very numerous after death might be the only thing keeping that's I'm not here to play this game anymore. I'm not looking to get back, you know, come back as a, a help old man again to live out my final 20 years let's just end this uh it's that's tough way to live you that's you can't do that what do you think of the fact that uh what's her face the 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 main character's brother is dead because i thought that was an interesting distinction that they or, or not distinction but but specific point that they that they had made was to say that he was captured we tortured him and then we killed him because I, you, I, I was expecting his revival ultimately. Right. And so it was interesting to see or to hear them say like, no, even though we are essentially built for. Again, they, they focus a lot on the pain aspect. There is supposed to also be a pleasure aspect, but whatever. Um, we are built to be torturers. No, we killed him. He is Deadsville. What do you think about that? I mean, as much as I did think about it, which honestly wasn't much, like this was not something Fair. that really, really made me 
think about the you know actions that they were choosing to make but kind of seemed lazy like oh that is such a easy out there's no better way that you could have done this which is rhetorical of course there was a better way like they easily could have worked something in where more difficult choices needed to be made and she would have to face real consequence for you know inevitable decisions down the line but no it was just kind of like ah of course that that makes it easier so yeah all right and then the ultimate ending of the film in which uh riley and roland Mm. seem to both get wishes which is weird um and riley chooses as her gift nothing um because she realizes that the Cenobites are genie-like in which all of their uh, gifts are like su- secretly come, bad come for you. twist, yeah. Right. Um, and Roland chooses the They're power. They're all major fans of M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And and of... Um, I can't fucking think of it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and Roland chooses power, which ultimately pushes him up into the sky and he becomes a Cenobite. What what make you of that ending? I uh, audibly out loud said, sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just fucking man. I'm just happy this fucking movie's over. I don't give a shit about what happens. He's a Cenobite now. Sure. That doesn't change my thoughts towards this whatsoever. She says nothing. Okay, maybe she actually learned a lesson throughout all this. Okay. Does it affect how I thought? That's what I wanted to ask, though, is like, so what's the lesson? Because I don't trust creepy people or creepy shit that you find. Let's try to to parse this out just a little bit. Okay. 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 So, first of all, it took you an hour and 20 minutes of film time to realize, hey, maybe I shouldn't trust the creepy people who appeared out of hell from a box. Like, we had a, you had a wait of the whole movie to realize that maybe yeah, dude, she had to sober doesn't up. have your best interest in heart. She number had to sober one. up. She was high the whole time. Number, number two. Uh, okay. Okay. In relation to the alcoholics addiction-esque allegory, what does this mean? I don't get because it's not selfish, right? It's not an escalation of seeking pleasure or seeking uh, redemption or 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 whatever for a, for a selfish point. It this is literally selfless. She continued a cycle of death and murder in the attempt to bring back her brother. And then essentially rendered all of the deaths prior worthless by saying no. And the Cenobites acknowledge that and say, you have to live with that guilt. But it's like, how does that tie back to the allegory you have established in any meaningful way? I mean, it doesn't. It's completely disjointed and disconnected from what the premise of natural storytelling would be 
honestly, the more I'm thinking about this, just sitting here, it's almost as if they had a general premise that they were basing this off of. They had an outline. They didn't really know how to tie these narrative arcs together. And it was just a, all right, we have our point A, point B, point C. What would be a satisfactory point D? Let's just write to that point and not really worry about how we connect point D to A, B, or C. It's just, hey, what would be a relatively happy ending that people would feel good about, not what would make this a... not virtuous sake like uh it's... Well, see i would actually say it the other way i think the ending was trying to be virtuous and avoid the happy ending but the happy ending i think actually makes more sense here what because would the happy ending to... be that she she says resurrection give me my brother back and then he comes back but then maybe to make it avoid it being too happy he's like now that i'm back from hell i have perspective and you can go fuck yourself i'm never talking to you again go kill yourself he kills her <laughs> she jumped she jumps off a bridge. Her suicide is the ending of the movie. Um, honestly, I'm I'm just thinking back to Constantine and how I'd rather have watched Constantine this week. <laughs> Shout out to Neil Gaiman. Um, yep. It's because uh, I think the idea is ownership for for one's actions, right? Which is to a certain extent one of the the twelve pillars of alcoholism, right? You know. Is uh, I forget what it's actually called, but we have to go ask forgiveness from individual people. You know, expel your demons, take ownership for your sins, that type of thing. Um, but actually, non sequitur. I we had a family friend do exactly that several weeks ago. How'd that go? Did he become a Cenobite? Um, he said we'd meet up with him at a, a tailgate and, and never showed up. So I don't know. Check his house for puzzle boxes. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I'm not getting looped into this fucking film. <laughs> it's just, you would think that the ending of, of her taking some ownership of her of her actions and, and the finality of them would have some type of meaning, but it, that would then have to... You'd have, then have to believe that the entirety of this film is her fault. Which, to a certain extent, it absolutely is. But she was also being set up by another guy. She didn't stab her brother with the puzzle box. He did it by mistake. Like, there was a lot of staging and accidents that led to what happened. And so for her to take ownership of all of it is also strange. You know what I mean? It it doesn't Agreed. quite land. No, it doesn't. Uh, we have another movie to one, talk about. One, so. mo- oh, no, one more ahead. thing. One more thing. Sure. Uh, they break into the shipping container, right? Quote, they find quote, a safe, yeah. not strapped down, not protected in any way, just a standard, just sitting in the center of a shipping container. Okay, they staged it up, made it look good, whatever. Um, she hits it with a sledgehammer several times. Oh, this was so stupid. And then drops the sledgehammer on it, which knocks the actual the turn dial. Thing. Yeah, yeah, the dial. dial off to which they crowbar it open. I don't know how much you know about how safes work. I know enough to know that that's not going to work. That is not it. Not only that, but like... <laughs> 
they open the safe there's no bars there like they're physically locking that safe door closed like it's a completely prop made like like the prop department made this safe and did not make it functional in any possible way i mean even um, when the dial comes off it looks like it was a fucking sticker yeah like, oh like the God, hole yeah. that it leaves is literally just like a a circle that was around yes. the casing of the dial and then just a small dot in yes. the middle yes and no like screws even, nothing even if like instead of using the crowbar if they just pretended like it did something and then like turned the handle and opened it that would at least quell all of my like trying to find movie uh, continuity errors, things like that would quell that that thirst and it would be like, all right, whatever. It's a horror movie. It's not a fucking Ocean's Eleven. I can live with this. But the fact that like they gave no intention whatsoever to have this be any sort of believable chest that locks just drove me mad. It's such a nothing. It's such a throwaway scene. It doesn't matter in any single capacity it just upset me oh well because it's stupid it's also stupid that they tried to break it in break in it right then and there in the thing like yeah i would get that if the safe was gigantic um it was not big you can carry that out sure it'll probably be pretty fucking heavy but Mm -hmm. i assume you drove in there and would only have to carry it maybe like 60 feet to your car that's what i'm saying like just pick it up and walk away why would you do this here? Because uh, they're fucking stupid and high. What more do you? But that's want? the thing. That's, that's that, the entire that, film. Everyone's just really dumb and really high. But the other guy wasn't high because he was just faking it to get this girl to oh to thing. So it's like you should have been like you're you as the villain. Your plan is fucked if you guys get caught by the police who will not be in on this with you. So take it away from here. I agree. There's so many big problems in the movie, but it's stuff like that where it's like, oh, this is already hurting my ability to get into this. Yeah. All right. Take us out of here. Final ratings and reviews. This is my movie, so I'll get us started. It is a much better film than the original in terms of the uh, cameras used. That's all I've got. <laughs> Every other aspect of this is less interesting. It's It's not very scary. I honestly thought that the effects that they that were used on the Cenobites made them look comical. Yeah, they're they're not terrifying at, in the slightest. And if that's going to be the case, then it's the movie's not going to work. Like they need to be somewhat disorienting mm-hmm. to look at, and these just weren't. They were just kind of goofy. Um, it's a movie that requires a lot of big swings because of its nature. So I respect it for, for making the attempt, but huge whiff. There's really no reason to go back to this one star. Um, if you do want to just see some really nice shots, which there are many in this film, many's a lot. Uh, there are enough. Watch the first like 25, 30 minutes on mute and then just turn it off. Half a star. Fair, yeah. Uh, all right, so then let's take this into our other Halloween horror film uh, of the day, 2022's X. Uh, X, 
was written and directed by Ty West. The film stars Mia Goth, Jenna Ortega, and Brittany Snow. Uh, the film had an estimated budget of, fuck, do I have it? I thought I did. Uh, $1 million. And the cumulative worldwide gross, uh, $14.5 million. So certainly a financial success. Uh, the film has no major awards nor nominations that I can see. However, the season is still young for this type of stuff. Um, the film's tagline was dying to show you a good time. Eh, I like that. I like it. It just, I don't know if it like fits the film at all. I think it, it show you a good time. Fuck you. They're, they're, they're dying. Uh, making the porno. I, I thought. Okay. It works. All right. Yeah, I guess. Uh, the film star. Oh, I already said who the film stars. Yeah, never mind. Um, the film is about in 1979, a group of young filmmakers set out to make an adult film in rural Texas where, uh, but when their reclusive elderly hosts catch them in the act, the cast finds themselves fighting for their lives. Corwin Heller, this is your pick. Why don't you go ahead and get us started? Um, man, if you told me that this was a horror movie about porn, I would have had a very different opinion of it going in. Um, that being said, I enjoyed I enjoyed watching this. I, I can't say I was ever scared, but it was at least, you know, by comparison, uh, an enjoyable film to watch um, and had a storyline which you felt some compassion towards the characters. You felt some level of connection to their history, their story, and then, you know, their own desires and i i can't say i would ever watch this again for the sole reason of man old old people sex scenes just aren't really what do it for me with cinema that's that's not what i enjoy uh but outside of that i, I enjoyed it what more can i say probably um, a lot but i'm not going to sure i i think this is an interesting film I appreciate the turning on its head of the standard kind of ideas behind sex and horror films. Like it plays into the the trope of if you fuck you die with also some kind of I don't know, some kind of subversion to it or or, or sometime some kind of um reversion of it I I guess uh no we'll talk about it a little bit more at length I, I assume. Um, I also did not find this to be necessarily scary and it's tough. It's part of what, what can make making a more artistic horror movie hard is it takes so long to get to a single death. I don't think you're hitting the first death until, Oh, I've, I've paused. I forget what it said. It was like 45 or 50 minutes in or something crazy. And it's like, well oh, over that, halfway into this. Yeah, and it's like that's not why I come to a, like I can appreciate how well made this this is, and I, I can see that we're definitely building towards something interesting. But man, we're taking so long to get to kind of the reason we're here that it's it's a little bit of a letdown. And to that end, when the killings actually do start, none of them are especially interesting. Uh, 
I think that the the cinematographer's gorier death scene was probably the toughest watch of all of them, but the rest of them are kind of like, eh, you know? And again, to that effect, it, it doesn't really function like a, like a horror movie would. And so to have it build as such makes it I don't know, a little bit more difficult to enjoy because of the expectation. If that makes sense. I'm going to assume you acknowledged. What? Are you there? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at my computer now and it's telling me that there's a... Just constantly. It doesn't uh, my microphone anymore. Yeah, I can tell. That's okay, buddy. We will uh, trudge forward, I suppose. Um, So... I guess to get into the plot of the movie is um, a a porn star and her boyfriend, along with um, a couple other two other porn stars. So so two girls and a guy. Guy being played by Kid Cudi, which is kind of funny. Um, bring along a a cinematographer, uh, a camera guy, and his girlfriend, who I guess is going to be operating uh, sound and boom. Um, all rent a cabin out in rural Texas to to make a porno with the idea that um, home video is getting really popular, which opens the door for porn to become uh, a bigger industry, which to their credit is a really interesting idea. Uh, obviously, it's 100 percent true. The second that a new way to consume porn becomes available, it, it immediately becomes a massive outlet for porn. Um, so like some of the earliest known photographs are of naked women. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, where there is the capability for porn, there is porn. <laughs> and so, you know, they, it gets a little creepy. The old man is kind of weird. Um, we, I don't know. Where do you want to, I don't know. Sure, I'm not even sure necessarily where to start with the dissection of this. Because it does take so long that the beginning genuinely is just let's go to a cabin and plow. I guess the theme of this is very similar to what you would, well, what the original Hellraiser was in the sense that sex and uh, pleasure is seen as a uh, what would you call it? Um, a taboo? Not even a taboo, because clearly the antagonists are both fans of it. They, they're both proponents of it. It's just more of a doing so in the wrong atmosphere and the wrong, not doing it in the right way is sin. There's a lot of religious themes that go along with it. Where Right, you know, sure. I, I wish my vocabulary was stronger. Not even my vocabulary, my memory was better. Um, but I was really torn on where this film was going up until essentially the murders start because there's no insight into really what these themes are out you know during the 
exposition, the lead up, you know, all of this backstory when they're, you know, before the, this really hits the head, it's just a regular old film. There's no horror aspect. There's nothing scary. It's just, Hey, this is our story. This is what's happening. Here we are. And then it just kind of turns itself on its head. Yeah. So basically up until the first death, maybe we can approach it like this up until the first death, they, uh, all the people get to the cabin and, you know, they chit chat about what it is to make porn, uh, why people do it. And it's like Corbin said, it's, it's like, it's, it's just a, a exploration of pleasure. Um, it shouldn't, one of the, the Britney snows, like it shouldn't be uh, viewed as such a taboo. It's just people who, who fuck everybody fucks. Like everybody likes it. Totally normal. Get to the thing rent it from this this guy uh creepy old man he's got a wife the wife has an awkward scene with uh mia goth's character uh pearl and um then they start filming the actual porno somewhere within there uh jenna ortega's character decides that she wants to get fucked by kid cuddy too and this was what eventually brings us into the first death scene and which by the way god i feel for that guy yeah, it's an interesting stuff. <laughs> it's an interesting point because the 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 cameraman RJ is essentially like it, it seems like Jenna Ortega. She's got kind of like a Christian Texas girl thing going on, where it's she's clearly like the prude or, or the prude ish, um, and is is you know the stigma or, or the uh, the um, catalyst for some of the early conversations about sex. And then ultimately her curiosities get the better of her and, and she wants in. And, and RJ along the way is being like, you know, sex positive, right? Because he yeah. wants to make he wants to make this movie. And but the second becomes his girl. He's like, oh, shit. And tell feel, me. Oh, I feel ahead, like they're like he they set it up as like a gotcha where it's like, oh, you think it's great that all of this is allowed and all of these people are, you know, talking about how like, yeah, it's fine that my boyfriend is having, you know, porn scenes with other people because it's something we're both okay with. And, you know, it's sex is sex. It's not anything that we view as interfering with our relationship, blah, 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 blah. But as soon as she brings it up, it's like, oh, well then I, I'd like to do a scene in the film and, he jumps back and is like, absolutely fucking not. To which she turns, well, why not? All these people were just talking about why it's okay. Like, you're all of a sudden going to be against that? I feel like there was a very easy solution to, yeah, I'm just not okay with you fucking someone else. They're yeah. okay with that in their relationship. I'm okay with other people doing that. Do whatever you want. I'm not okay with my girlfriend getting fucked by some other dude while I film it. With, with <laughs> no time to process either. That's the thing right. that got me is like maybe RJ gets, you know, comfortable with the idea or whatever, or even all these people who met each other probably in closer to that context, you know, like I wouldn't be surprised if, if Wayne, the, I guess, producer of the film and uh, Pearl, probably met each other in a sex work context. And so the idea of fucking other they, people they especially them, for money. They, the opening scene is her leaving a, like a strip club. A strip club. Yeah. 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 With them. Right. And I would, I would expect that that's basically some version of how they met too. And so to that end, it's it, it, the idea of, of sex work is probably not exactly foreign. It, yeah. I, 
it is it's an interesting conversation within the film that I do appreciate, but I think the film like I think the film wants to decide with Jenna Ortega and everybody else, but I really think I side with RJ. <laughs> And then Wayne immediately has the... cutting to him crying in the shower was just like, oh god! And then he that dies. I, I fully expected that to be the first death, being of his own accord. <laughs> the first death in this in this slasher film is a suicide. That'd be yeah. fucking funny. Uh, and that's, that's that's a little bit of like that subversion because the only character that doesn't have sex in the movie is the first one that gets killed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which was again tough. That then gets preceded with, uh, I guess actually the second death scene is uh, Wayne who gets killed out in the the, the barn what? on the hunt for RJ. What's up? Uh, I'm having a realization that I I don't have all the answers to the, you know, something that happens later on. But I guess I'll wait for that uh, to bring it up. No, you can share it now if you want. We're the, we would forget when uh, Jenna Ortega. Uh, I assume that's her name. Uh, yes. I've already forgotten. Uh, when she gets locked in the basement, and the guy is chained up to the wall. I initially thought that that was RJ, but then they go back up, and he's still there. Who was the guy in the basement? So I believe the the assumption we're to make there is that this is this is what this old couple does. They bring people out to they rent out their their cabin to people uh, and then keep them for sex slavery. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, the the build up to to the film, we'll cut ahead a little bit, is essentially um, Typically in these types of movies, in your, your cabin in the woods type, type classic 80s slasher films, is if you have sex, you die, because the idea of sex is that it's a sin. In this film, it plays on that a little bit, which is to say sex isn't the issue. Sex being a sin isn't the issue. It's that these people wish they were having sex. This old couple wishes that they were having sex. And the problem is that they, they aren't, because their their youth has been sapped from them. Right. The 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 mm-hmm. passage of time has depleted their capability of doing it. Right. And so it's not that it's a sin, it's a virtue, but it, it's 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 switching the sin from uh, lust to envy, essentially. And the, the woman and the man are, are, are killing some of these people and keeping some of the other ones based on uh jealousy and and lust right they also have a sex scene which is super uncomfortable um one of the worst things i've ever seen yeah uh so i i guess just to to talk about kind of like the fullness of the film probably encapsulated very very well with the uh the song that gets sung in the middle um landslide by fleetwood mac which makes kind of a wacky appearance in this movie as uh uh, Brittany Snow sings it with with Kid Cutting on the accompanying guitar, and you're like, "Oh yeah, the Pitch Perfect girl, she can sing," uh, <laughs> and then she does. Um, it's just again, essentially about like I'm not sure I'm I'm ready for what's to come as my life progresses. Again, the idea of this movie. Uh, so what what did you think about that as kind of like a driving 
a driving force here. Man, lady, like, don't you know how to how to flick the bean? You really gotta you gotta take it out on these poor folk. Genuinely, just like ah, that's I don't actually I don't know why I feel that way. Like the the selfishness aspect. Obviously, they're murdering people. They're not good people. Like I don't know why I'm setting the bar so low there. Um, but thematically, I do I enjoy how that was done. Yeah, I I mean I I do like having it be a different motivation. Although, to stick an although in there, I it doesn't matter for me. Like, because mm-hmm. because again, it's not why I'm coming to this movie. Oh and God, Josh, while you came to this movie, oh, it's disgusting. <laughs> once, twice, and three times, and the old people started fucking. Um. It, because they they take so long to build up to that point, and because that moment feels such a deviation, I did find it to be interesting, and I I liked it as a different take on you know the theme that is prototypical of these types of films. But it didn't add anything for me. You, you know what I mean? Like I I came here f- to see a guy's throat get smashed. And I did, uh, you know, he got his throat stabbed up real good. And that old lady's skull got run over. It's exactly why I'm here for this movie. Um, old lady, old, old, old couple boning, not why I'm here. And I, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, if it was them hunting them down for having sex, whether it's because they wanted sex, whether they were hunting them down because they were crazy and they liked to kill him. Um, it really doesn't change the takeaway from it. Like, sure, from a letterboxed art house film snob type thing, of sure, like the symbolism matters, the, the themes matter. But from someone sitting here watching the film, trying to, you know, brace for what's about to happen, it doesn't matter whatsoever. Yeah, and it's, I, I think it's just because they don't go too far in either direction, because you also don't find out that that's the couple's kind of interest until also at the same point that the, really the, that the killing starts you know like you get some feeling you're, you 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 get the the um idea that the, the the woman who incidentally is also played by mia goth mia goth plays both pearl and the old woman in case it's not obvious by the old people's incredibly bad makeup um wow the old person makeup in this movie is horrible so who um, plays the dude um, a, a, an old man, but they really old him up. Okay. Like that, that actor's name, hold on, I have it up. Uh, that actor's name is Steven Ure, Ure, who funny enough was, uh, in the Lord of the Rings movies, go figure as Gorbag, who I don't know who that is. And Grishnach, who I don't know who that is. Um, but he was, uh, he was born in 1958. So, you know, he's 64. So not that old. If you look at pictures of him, he does not look that old. So like really quite bad makeup was, was applied to make him look yucky, old, yucky old. And you know, you get you you clearly get, you know, the ideas that the old woman is resentful or longing for her youth in some type of way and envious of of of, of Mia Goth or, or I guess a, the Pearl character, but to get the full scope of to get the full scope of this film only an hour in 
and to not get the first murder until about the same length into the film is tough. That's really tough. <laughs> like the first hour of this movie is just genuinely five people trying to make a porno. And God damn it. That's not an interesting movie. It could be just not the way this was presented. Right. I did. I did think that it was well made outside of you know this this gripe I have with I guess the the writing of the film. Like I think yes. the cinematography of this was gorgeous. I agree. And I thought it was yeah. extremely well acted. Again, also agree. Uh, I didn't realize how good of an actor Kid Cudi was. I was about to ask you what you thought of him in this movie. I thought he was perfect. Yeah, Hank's massive dong. Other than that, still a really compelling actor. Like he doesn't have a lot of role to play with but hey a you know veteran who clearly has some qualms with the people that live in the area he's in and his life now he does that very very well yeah i i think that because kid cuddy is playing a you know a horse dick like um, porn star he's supposed to have a certain amount of like casual sexy um, like cool guy kind of like a swag which I think being an extremely famous musician probably gives him already which is a really sure. good way for him to you know what I'm saying like yeah. Kid Cudi's job in this movie was to be cool and uh, Kid Cudi Seems like he's probably already pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I can't imagine at any point Kid Cudi would be, you know, I'm sure, you know, outside of being human, has ever thought, man, I'm a fucking dork. Yeah, like, I'm sure that, you know, like anybody else, he he has his, 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 his demons to wrangle, as is certainly evident through his music. But I'm sure he's also experienced many times being undoubtedly the coolest motherfucker in the room. Yeah. yeah. What do you think of uh, Mia Goth, who's become some something of a, I guess, an indie film darling? As um, you know, this was a very successful film financially, and and spawned a sequel that came out fucking less than six months after the original. Um. Honestly, it's, everything she did, I felt was well done. And the ending of the film was where she kind of really opened up. She did beautifully. But outside of the ending, it's not like she was asked to do much. Like, don't get me wrong. You can see a very good actress there. I just don't think this is the role to kind of showcase that. You know what I mean? Like, she didn't have much to say the first hour of the film, hour and a half, not hour and a half, but like, hour and change it was just kind of hey you have some simple lines you know between the characters that you know you're friendly with it's nothing crazy walking around by yourself spending time by yourself and then once things kind of kick off that's when you break out and are the star but yeah Yeah, it it can her part was to be kind of uh it's a lot of face acting it's not a lot of lines Sorry if you hear the honking <laughs> some car alarm going off outside of my directly outside of my apartment. Dude, I'm recording um, out of my laptop mic at this point. I don't think audio is gonna be the 
highlight of this episode. Yeah, God, these people next door have been driving us crazy all day. And anyway, um, and to that effect, like face acting to this degree can be difficult. Um, you know, you have to like she has to convey the tone of the film through just her essence, like her being on screen, which can be challenging because it's tough to play aloof without having it be too calming. You know, there has to be some level of suspense or discomfort that she is showing that will lead us to the feeling of some level of suspense that is going on, not directly in that scene, but in the greater environment of the film. Um, and then, yeah, during the the end, she really like steps up into the main stage. Uh, earlier on in the film, Jenna Ortega is certainly getting a little bit more, I think, of the, the focus and within the, the, the actual lines. And she, of course, has also gone on to become something of a of an indie darling. Both of these 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 women have, have become kind of, I guess, modern scream queens is, you know, you say uh, gone on like this film hasn't been released this year. I know it feels like it was really so early, so much earlier, but they, they've entered such, I think, a public consciousness because of this film. You know, right. Mia Goth has, has acted for a while. She was even in Suspiria, which came out the remake of Suspiria, which came out four years ago now, which I have to rewatch because I do not remember her from that movie at fucking all. Oh, and she was in Nymphomaniac Volume 2. I don't remember her in that either, um, which is a Lars von Trier movie, which is super long and not my favorite work of his. Um, but Jenna Ortega was in the newest Scream film. Uh, she's about to star. I don't think it's come out yet, but she is uh, about to star in... Um, the Wednesday Adams TV show. Um, hmm. So that'll be out sometime relatively soon. Um, I think she's gotten a couple other. Yeah, she's going to be in Scream 6. So she, she's certainly taking the step into the uh, it's a little step forward into public awareness. She definitely oh, has. I don't know if she's playing Wednesday Adams, but she has a very Wednesday Adams type. Case. She is playing Wednesday Adams. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she's also young Jane and Jane the Virgin, which I didn't realize either. I I got to rewatch Jane the Virgin. It's I fun did. Show. That's how I recognize her. Yeah, she's been around forever, for but it's a bunch of those ago. like bit. It's a bunch of bit parts from like stuff you've definitely seen. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh, I had another point I was going to make. I can't remember what the fuck it was. Um, Were you distracted by something else going on, Josh? No, not really. Oh, what do you think of the, the the reveal at the end, which is that the the TV preacher that we've seen throughout the film, throughout the uh, yeah, throughout the film, which acted as kind of like I you think it's just table setting of like where we are. We're we're in a world mm-hmm. in which this is rural Texas. This is evangelical Christian. They're watching an evangelical TV network during their their downtime. Like, that's really where we are. And then at the end of the movie, it gets revealed that uh, the Maxine character is the daughter of the preacher that we've been seeing on TV the whole time. How do you feel mm-hmm. about that kind of, like, reveal? I, I wasn't sold on it at first because I was like, is this an aspect? Like, is this truthful is this the complete picture that we're getting or is this some sort of i don't i didn't know if i was there was some sleight of hand at play here but i I really like it It, it's very fitting and you know it's something that happens where hey you push something fucking crazy really hard guess what your kids are going to do the exact fucking opposite because they're going to call you out not crazy whether it is crazy or just being heavy-handed 
that's that's the way it's going to be. And I like it. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it adds color to the uh, how we got here, you know, and it adds color to some of the disdain or, or discomfort that Mia Goth feels towards these characters. Like she has some sympathy for the woman because of her age and you know because of um like you know i guess really just her way and and then there's the absolute indifference towards these characters and and then obviously she you know kills them um if as part of her escape that some of some of that kind of color into it as well but it's so interesting because it feels like it's teasing a prequel and it's so interesting to see a movie tease a prequel which is what this up this latest release in, in this trilogy, there'll be a third after this. Um, really? Pearl is, it's a prequel film. And it's felt so interesting to have that be your film's conclusion. I will say the, uh, the Pearl character, the old lady, they were nothing but nice to her throughout the entire film. Everyone was just trying to help her. And she was a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I know it doesn't matter whatsoever because she's a murderer. I don't think she gives a shit. But hey, what at least you, they were trying. What did you think of the book ending of the film with the police stuff? Because the film starts with them coming to the murder scene and being like, Starge, check this out. And then the movie ends with the police poking around the murder scene and when, them being like, Sarge, check this out. <laughs> um, when you see it at the beginning... It kind of is one of those, ah, okay, this seems like this is going to be a book. You know, like when you see something like that, where like it's very clearly after all of the Ah, yes, we're coming action. back here later. Right, right. right. Uh, completely forgot about it, of course, because there's no indication of them in the outside world whatsoever during the rest of the film. But the end kind of coming together, <laughs> the fucking line of like, uh, Sarge, what do you... What do you think happened here? And just how the fuck am I supposed to know that? Are you fucking kidding me? How, who was supposed to be able to figure this shit out? Was I, I enjoyed that. That was funny. But uh, it's also funny when the, the cop brings up the video camera and he's like, What do you think's on this? And he's like, Oh, probably some fucked up shit. And it's just, it's just gonna be porn. All those cops <laughs> are gonna just be watching a porno later. They filmed uh, none of the murders, it's just porn. Uh, do you think they're going to be upset by that? I don't. I think that's a win in their book. Uh, I think the evidence room guy is going to be having a great night. I think the evidence room guy is going to be like, oh, man, this blank tape is useless. I guess we don't need to log this as evidence. Uh, let me just toss this away for you guys. I, uh, I'd be hesitant. I'm, I'm reluctant, though, because typically that serves a purpose, the, that kind of book ending. And I don't know what purpose it's meant to serve. You know, maybe Gravity. we'll find out in the third film where um, Maxine has to fuck her way out of that jail. Or sorry, Pearl has to fuck her way out of that jail. Um, well, actually, Maxine is Pearl. It's the same thing. Um, yeah. But it's. Um, uh, that would be funny if in Pearl or the third film, there's just those characters playing themselves in a different time period as well. That would be fun. If this turns into like a time travel thing, that, that would be genuinely really cool. Wouldn't be mad. Gotta say, I wouldn't be mad. Just yeah. lean into the camp. Lean into the camp aspect of it. 
Um. All right. Yeah. I, I don't have. A, I think any anything else here. Um, no. Now you're all good. I'm all set. All right. Well, um, I guess we'll move into final ratings and reviews. So, uh, to that effect, Corin Heller, this was your film. Why don't you go ahead and get us started? Uh, very enjoyable, if not not scary horror film. Um, I'm excited to see what the rest of this series has in store. I feel like it's only going to add significant depth and a layer to this that could be very unique and original. Um, that being said, I'll give this uh, a four. Still a good film. Yeah, I'll go to four. Yeah, I um, I while I I don't find this film overly successful as a horror film vehicle, I do appreciate the way that it tries to further the discussion and the analysis of horror and to to you know be introspective with the tropes uh, and mm-hmm. themes that horror tends to to fall back on. I, I really do appreciate. And again, it's well made. It's beautifully beautifully shot um i love i love the cinematography of this film um i i think editing great i thought the performances were wonderful so i'll squarely give this three and a half i'm excited to watch pearl the reason again core and i couldn't watch pearl which we were supposed to watch is because we just could not it was not playing in our state (laughs) so we could not find it um but we'll make attempts i guess when it hopefully eventually hits streaming and then you know i guess try to watch maxine the three x's whenever that comes out uh all right corwin heller hit me with next week's pick i want you to go first all right um i want to delve into once again the world of wacky and weird we're going to be visiting a film i have not seen in so long that i actually have been meant i've meant to pick several times and continuously forget the David Lynch classic Blue Velvet. Interesting. I have not seen it as per usual. Uh, I am going to stick with new releases. Now that it is finally streaming, I'm very excited to watch it. The Northman. Ah, okay. I saw this. Did you see that in theaters? Okay, that answers that question immediately. Um, Okay, good luck with that. Where is it streaming? Uh, HBO, I believe. Oh, perfect. These are both on uh, HBO then. Uh, Amazon Prime, you dumb bitch. Get fucked. Okay. Try eat eat butt loser. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so check those two out for next episode or don't not a problem uh, in the meantime but to follow the show on Twitter you can do so at uh, Big Screen Juice but to follow Corwin on Twitter you can do so at Corwin Heller but to follow myself on Twitter you can do so at Joshua D. Jason if you send emails to the show you can do so at Juice the Big Screen at gmail.com and until next time y'all have a good one